Thank you for listening to the following sermon from Pine Grove Community Church in Rylander, Wisconsin. For more information, please visit us at pinegrove-wi.com. We hope you enjoy the sermon. As you can see, we're going to be looking at Galatians 3.28. There's no male and female for all are one in Christ Jesus. And we're going to look at it of the kind of mess we've made in our lying about this verse. And I, I'm tempted to start with a joke, but this is really one of the most important topics here. And I don't want to lighten it, nor do I want to get myself off the hook of telling you the truth. So we're going to be in Galatians 3.28. I also want to read in Genesis 1. And then I'm going to read a little bit in Ephesians, which is right after Galatians. Um, so, the unspeakable gift of this verse isn't that it removes the distinctions and differences and purposes and callings of God making us male and female, which since the mid to late 1800s and then especially picking up themes in the 1960s has been the way that this verse has been interpreted, that it doesn't matter if you're male and female, you can do whatever you want, there's no differences in the church, in the home, in society. That isn't at all what this means. That isn't the goodness of this gift. That's a lie. The goodness of this is what Pastor Jeff just said. Whether you're Jew or Greek, whether you're slave or free, whether you're male or female, all of the laws in the Bible that are specific to all of those differences give you no advantage or disadvantage as far as salvation. So these three massive categories and these differences, these negations, these, there's profound differences in our ethnicity and whether you're a slave or free, whether you're male or female, right? And there's laws in the Bible all over the place specific to those differences, right? The good news is that you being a good little Jew is nothing before God's righteousness. It's only by a free gift. You being free and not a slave, and you being a good master or a really good slave is nothing in earning forgiveness of sins. You being a male or a female and and obeying God's commands as a man or to a woman does not earn you salvation. It's all the free gift of God's grace. That's the point of this verse, and it's precious. And it really rots that we have to take that preciousness and deal with how we've twisted it and really destroyed and harmed people's lives, which is why this is so important. Soren Kierkegaard, in his book, Attack Upon Christendom, I read it this morning, speaks of, he's critiquing the church. He's critiquing the church because the, there's a big wig in the church who died, and at his funeral, another big wig said that he was a witness to the truth of Christ. And Soren Kierkegaard pointed out that he wasn't. He, he wasn't a witness to the truth because he would often refuse to say the truths that would get him in trouble and cause his income to decline. And in this chapter, he talks about a, the significance of his silence. 
The problem with this deceased pastor wasn't what he said, that was right. It's what he refused to ever say. And that he was no longer a witness to Christ's truth because he cared more for his income than to tell the truth in God's Word that would go against the flow of culture. You know what I mean? You get it? You know this in your relationships with people, right? You do have to pay attention to what people say, but you also have to pay attention to what they're not saying. What they won't say. And nowhere has the church of Jesus Christ for the last half century refused to say anything than in, in regards to God making us male and female from the beginning. Some of you grew up in churches and have profound affection for churches and pastors and he refused to go at this area. In fact, he may have your church may have said the opposite, that this verse means that there's no longer distinctions in calling. There's no longer distinctions in the church. There's no longer distinctions in the home. There's definitely no distinctions in the world between men and women. You're all open to do whatever you want. Female elders, great. Men who are passive, no problem. And we are reaping in our culture what we have sown in denying the goodness of God making us male and female from the beginning. Right? right? So is this, does this matter? There's nothing that matters more. So, Genesis 1.27, I'll read that. Then I'm going to read Galatians 3.28. And then we're going to go end of, end of Ephesians 5 into Ephesians 6. So let's begin in Genesis I'll read 26 to 28 here. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And now Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now Ephesians 5. 22 to 24, or we'll go 22 to 26. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. Now, uh, Ephesians 6, 1 through 9. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment of the promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, 
not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Render service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or is free. Masters, do the same. And stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Let's pray. Father, we bow our knees before you, who is Father and from whom all fatherhood gets its name on earth. We ask you to give us strength in our minds, in our hearts, in our bodies to submit and obey your perfect and eternal word, especially in its goodness of teaching us that you made us male and female from the beginning. <coughs> give us grace that we might stand firm here. Help those who are here who will be troubled with this teaching. Help them to respond humbly. And do please forgive us our many sins regarding how you have made us. In Christ's name, amen. <coughs> so the crying need of our day, of course, is that Christians would say very plainly and lovingly and truthfully that from the beginning God made us male and female. And by from the beginning, I mean from the beginning of creation and from conception. And that there is such great dignity in bearing God's image in our sex and that God giving us each our sex is to be lived out and obeyed according to the sex God has given you. That language might sound strange to you. Obey your sex. What do I mean? I mean that there are purposes and callings and functions that are specific to men that aren't to women, and that there are to women that there aren't to men, and that men need to obey their biology, and women need to obey their biology, and that they are going to be different, and that that is a primary concern for you as a believer, because how you follow Jesus as a man is going to look pretty differently than how you follow Jesus as a woman. Of course, there's going to be some similarities. We have to say that. There is no difference in the dignity of worth as male compared to female or female compared to male. But in a day where the feminine is held up as a goddess and the masculine is decried as toxic, we have to be very careful that we are encouraging men and boys to be manly in their godliness. That we are encouraging women and girls to be feminine in their godliness. So in our day, we refuse to say anything or to believe anything like what I've just said. And at the heart of that refusal are 14 words, maybe only six read here in Galatians 3.28. There is no male and female, for you are one in Christ Jesus. Now, in our day, we use the word gender. And by that, we, I think, just mean what we mean by the word sex. There's two genders, male and female. But the term gender is kind of like a, a word we've created and now 
misused to, re- me, to refer to like any number of whatever you feel you are sexually. And so I'm going to use the word sex. So when I use the word sex in this sermon, I'm not talking about what husbands and wives have the pleasure of doing in the marriage, but I'm, I'm referring to your sex, being male or female, okay? So don't get confused by that. And so our rebellion in the church isn't that, at least in churches like ours, isn't that we're gender fluid, isn't that we're sexually fluid, but by seeing our discipleship as sexless, you know what I mean? Of, of seeing that following Jesus has really nothing to do with our sex and that there aren't specific callings and purposes and duties attached to one's sex and that there aren't... We still believe there's biological differences between men and women because, duh. But we don't believe there's any psychological differences until you actually get married and you start communicating with the opposite sex and realize probably after about 20 years it takes that, wow, she's using language for a completely different psychological purpose than I am. And that that revelation after 20 years of arguing is actually very helpful to your marriage because how she's using language and how I am a man and using language are for very different purposes. And that to love her, I need to understand why she's using those words and why I am not using words and vice versa. But we refuse to even consider that. And so a pastor in the counseling session in marital conflict refuses to help the couple see that their conflict is because he's a man and she's a woman. In fact, we give them 10 strategies for better communication that's absolutely sexless. And, by the way, useless. Now, there's the intro what is this verse saying? What is this verse about? So go back again to Ephesians. We have at the end of chapter 5 and the beginning of chapter 6, God's law applied sexually. God's law applied to women. Obey your husbands in the Lord, in everything as the church does to Christ. The law of God is applied to a sex specifically. To female and not to male. Everybody agrees with me? You all have eyes and brains and you can read that, right? And there's nothing in the Greek that will change the obvious meaning here. And then he does the same for men. Differently than for women, according to their sex. God created you male and female with specific ways of living in this world, with a specific biology and psychology. And he says to women... Your biology and your psychology is going to have a specific kind of temptation. And it's going to be different than the man's. And men, your biology and psychology is different than the woman's. And how you sin and attempt is going to be different than the female's. And so I'm going to be helpful to you and apply my good law, not genderlessly, not sexlessly, but according to your sex. A woman is going to be tempted to use words to beat down her husband. And so she is told in the Lord, by faith, to submit to him. In the Lord. And then he says to the man, your temptation is going to be because you're so focused on 
doing. So focused on accomplishing the next task. And you've got to love your wife. You're hard as a man. You have a hard body. But you have to learn to be tender to her. Right? And then he does the same thing in chapter 6 to slaves and masters. He applies his law differently to the different sins and temptations. Everybody see that? Slaves. Now your translation doesn't say slave, does it? What does it say? Bond servant. Whatever. We always want to soften God's word to not make it offensive. Slaves, what's going to be your temptation? Well, it's going to be to rebel against your master. And Paul is restraining their sinful temptation according to their station in life. Now to masters, he does the same thing. Quit, quit being such a jerk to the slaves. You're a Christian. You'll stand before the ultimate judge on equal footing and you'll be judged according to your station. Okay, so we have laws in the Bible applied sex specifically, applied specifically to your station in life. Everybody tracking with me? And then Galatians 3.28 comes in and says, none of those laws in regards to salvation mean anything. All of those differences in distinction, as far as you receiving God's forgiveness, as far as you being given Christ's righteousness by faith, as far as you being an inheritor of all the promises in the Bible, as far as you being rescued from eternal death, all of those laws can't help you. You all come to Christ only by one thing, faith in Christ. That's the glory of this verse. So women, you aren't kept out of heaven because of your disrespect of your husband. Can you imagine if you were? There'd be no hope for any of you. Right? Amen? Thank God you're not kept out of heaven when you're harsh to your wife and don't take a second to slow down and wonder what she's thinking or how she's feeling because none of you would go to heaven. That's what it's saying. As far as we've been seeing this all throughout Galatians, the law has nothing to do with your justification. There's a higher law of God's grace that Removes the law to nothing as far as your acceptance with God. That's what this verse is about. It's the best news you'll ever hear. Everybody tracking? You got it? And so this assurance, this reassurance to, let's say, a Greek person who's being told by the Jews that unless you become better Jewishly, you can't go to heaven. It's such a freedom. It's such a reassurance. Or in our culture, to a man who's not sufficiently in touch with his feminine side. If you don't become more feminine, you can't go to heaven. If you don't learn to sing some of our feminine songs with tears in your eyes and swaying of your hips, you won't go to heaven. It's freeing you from the law in regards of your salvation. So all of the laws replied to all of these differences cannot take away your sin, cannot deliver you from death, cannot purchase eternal life. And so it's as if they are nothing. But through faith in Christ, we are all one. Does that make sense? The only way to God's heaven 
isn't by you becoming a better man or you becoming a better woman or you becoming a better employee or wherever else God's law is followed, but it's only through faith in Christ. That's the point of this verse. And it's wonderfully freeing. Got that? If you are assured of God's love for you based only on God's love for you and nothing about you, then you can face anything. Because there is nothing that can separate you from God's love. And so you can live in a world that hates the truth that God made us male and female from the beginning and stand firm on it because your eternity isn't based on anything but Christ and Him crucified. And so at work, in June, when they want you to put on a name tag with a a gay rainbow flag, you can politely decline. Because your salvation isn't based on any worldly acceptance, but only on faith in Christ, and God takes care of His own. So, unfortunately, this verse has become like ground zero in the battle, in the church, for whether any of the biblical teaching on the differences in calling, how the law is applied to male and female, has been basically said to say everything that we read in Ephesians 5 doesn't matter anymore because of this verse. How did that happen? Well, Rebecca Grootheis, a Dutch woman, unfortunately. I'm Dutch, and so I say that because she should know better. In her book on gender equality states, of all the texts that support biblical equality, Galatians 3.28 is the most important. So let's talk about that word equality. Aren't you sick of that word? (laughs) It's actually a good word, rightly used, right? It's it's an important word. Now, when she uses the word supports biblical equality, what she means is that to keep a woman from being an elder is inequality. And this verse brings us back to equality where a woman could be an elder. Or, when Paul says to wives in Ephesians 5.22, submit to your husbands, that's inequality. That's sinful inequality. And this verse brings us back to equality. It removes those distinctions of how God applies His law. Or, When we see in the Bible that men are supposed to go and defend their country or their city by being a a policeman or a, a soldier in the army, and that that means women are unequal because women can't go and be a policeman or be on the front lines of combat, that this verse solves that inequality. That's what she means by biblical equality, that any differences in distinction are in of themselves inequalities. Now, is God, are there distinctions within God? Curious question, isn't it? We have a God who is triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? They're different. The Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Father, the Spirit is not the Father, Son. They're distinct persons. And we see in the Bible that there's distinction according to function and 
office. The father is often the one willing and planning. He tells the son what to do and the son submits to him. The spirit is then sent by the father and the son to work, apply what the son did according to the father's command. Does that mean that the father is superior in dignity and worth and more God than the Son or the Spirit? Does that mean that they're unequal within the Godhead, their differences? Not at all. They're completely equal according to being fully God. Their differences, their distinctions, do not mean inequality, but that's what our world is saying. That's what the church has been saying. God creating us from the beginning, male and female, with different identities, different physical makeup, different psychological view and callings and functions does not mean inequality. Not at all. But that's what some would have taught and have taught for a long time. That's what this verse means. And so Galatians 3.28 is the manifesto of a feminist view of the world. That the differences between the sexes, particularly those differences of calling and function, taught everywhere in Scripture, are now no more because of this one verse. You got that? And so the attack isn't just mainly on the difference between men and women, but on the authority of God's Word. And if you exalt this one verse over all the rest, what you do is you're deciding to pick and choose what has authority and what doesn't. We must not do that. And so does Galatians 3.28 neglect, negate the rest of the Bible's callings and commands given specifically according to our sex? Does Galatians 3.28 now make you basically androgynous, sexless as a Christian? So that your biology, your psychological makeup as a male or female no longer matters anything to your following of Christ and how you interact with others. Is that all gone because of Galatians 3.28? Now it's, I think anyone who doesn't come to this text, unless you have like a feminist agenda, can clearly see that this text does no such thing. It's only when you already want it to say something that then you begin to see that it says that thing. You ever do that? This is how we watch most of our news. This is why you guys all watch Fox News. Because you know it will say what you want it to say. Until it doesn't, then you ain't going to watch that guy anymore. Because <laughs> we all want to be confirmed in our biases. But it's obvious that Paul is not here saying that all of the rest of the commands and differences of the distinctions between men and women now cease because of this. That's not what it means at all. In fact, over and over and over again, the same Apostle Paul, under the same inspiration of the Holy Spirit, applies all over the place God's law to slaves and masters, to Jews and to Greeks, and to males and to females. And so what, what is needed of you today? What is the need of our day? It's for men and women to know the freedom of being counted righteous through faith alone in Jesus Christ such that they can stand firm. Particularly where the culture is pressuring you and I most. And it's that place that the church is often most silent. Okay? How many of you think it was okay 
in Nazi Germany in the 20s and 30s and 40s, as Nazism was rising for the church to remain silent about the racism against Jews. You okay with that? Don't we condemn them for that? Because of the cost. And then don't we take a pastor who wasn't silent and who stood up, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and think very highly of him. Why? Because God's word wasn't silent about what was going on in his culture, and he wasn't either. And he was trembling and fear, and I'm sure sometimes not saying enough and sometimes saying too much, said something about the main issue of his day and was killed for it and imprisoned for it and suffered greatly for it. And we hold him up as a hero. Praise God. And how much more in our day as the truth, the goodness of God making us male and female from the beginning What better place for you to speak up over? That's what's needed. To say it aloud. To say it publicly. To love that God is the author of sex and that the difference between males and females are inherent from the beginning and determine one's life and calling and function. Look at Romans 6.21 for me a second. I read this this morning. And the question he asks here is one that we should ask ourselves pretty consistently. The issue in Romans 6 is that some are taking what I'm teaching, that the law has nothing to do with your justification. As if Paul is saying, since the law has nothing to do with your justification, go ahead and do whatever you want as far as sin, because it doesn't matter. Right? 6.1, that's his question. Are we, what should we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? You're tracking. So we have this paradox as Christians of knowing that There is no law-keeping that can get us to Christ. There is no sin that can be forgiven in Christ. And then sometimes we in our flesh twist that to say, well, I can look at that. God will forgive me. That's what we do in our hearts. And so what Paul is asking, look at the question he asks us in, in 621. What fruit were you getting at the time from these things of which you are now ashamed? Let me put that in more modern terms. How'd that work for you? being enslaved to your sin. How'd that go for you? That work out okay? And so let's apply that. How's it going for the church and our culture since we've denied that God made us male and female? How's it going? What fruit has that been bearing? Is that going well? Hmm? You know, every psychological test on women over the last 30 years shows that women are more miserable than ever, even though they've been more free than ever. How's that working? How's it going for us as a culture? I was denying that God made us male and female that has any difference in our lives. Is that going well for us? How's the divorce rate going? How's single parent families going? How about the disproportionately murdered unborn baby girls in the womb compared to males? How's that going for girls? that working out well for us? And you want me to not say these things. You wish I wouldn't go there. There are some of you here who probably will never come back here because I'm saying these things. And you'll go back to churches and pastors who won't say these things. And you know why they won't say those things, right? Do you know why? Be honest with yourself. Why? Because they don't want their income to go down. Because they don't want to suffer the 
the conflict that will result if they say those things. Because they like to go to their pastor meetings with other pastors and boast on how big their church is. And their church is that big because people are coming from the churches who are telling the truth to his church. That's the game we play. And I'm no different. Don't think any highly of me. I rewrote the sermon three times because I, there was things that I know I have to say that I don't want to say. I'm, I, don't, I'm, I'm just stupid. So how, what do you do? Well, first, if you're a, a man, well, let's do this. Commit yourself to standing firm regarding the biblical teaching of God creating us male and female. And have nothing to do with pastors and churches and others who deny that and who won't say it. Not that they openly deny it. Because if you sat down with them in their office and asked, are there a difference between men and women? and Things that men can do that women can't. Things that women can do that men can't. They'd say, yeah. But they won't say it in the pulpit. And they won't rebuke young women who dress immodestly. And they refuse to rebuke men who aren't disciplining their children. They refuse to do the hard pastoral work of applying Scripture according to the sex of the people, either in the pulpit or in their lives. And some of you have been very impacted by churches and pastors just like that. The state of Wisconsin, the main church that has propagated this error has been all the Brook churches. And we are reaping the whirlwind. Pastors like Rick Warren, Tim Keller, continue to do this. There is a direct link between denying in the church that men and women have different callings and different functions and all of the transgenderism and nonsense that we see in our culture. And how dare we, as pastors and churches, remain silent at the main place that our culture is losing its mind and destroying lives. So you must stand firm. Why? Because you fear God. Because you have Jesus' words in your ears when he said, whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. We don't believe that anymore. We don't believe that. I'm not saying that those pastors of those churches had no use in the world and didn't do good and weren't very helpful to some of you. I'm saying that where the culture was most pressuring the church, they either remained silent or actually were apostles for the lie that Galatians 3.28 says there's no difference in distinctions within the church or in the home according to male and female. And they were bad shepherds there. But that has nothing to do with you necessarily. What are you supposed to do with this? What's the, what's the main difference between men and women? Men, what are you? What, why has God made you male? What, what does it mean to be a man? It means that you take on responsibility and weight. I was talking to a youth group this Wednesday on prayer. 
And this was, I didn't say this because the youth were being inattentive. It was just something I was thinking about and thought it would be helpful to them. And I, you know, if you're teaching Awana, let's say, and you have the group of kids, and there's typically a boy in there who is trying to get all the attention away from the person teaching it to himself. You ever see that? It's almost always a boy. Sometimes it's a girl, but it's almost always a boy. Now, what he needs to do is take on the responsibility for everybody else around him to restrain his need for attention in order that everybody else can listen to the teacher. See what I'm saying, men? That's what you're for. You're to say no to what you, things you want in order to take on weight and responsibility to be helpful to others. Now, that will typically mean, young men, that you should find a woman and marry her. And give her lots of children. You should take on that weight. That, 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 that'll help you be a man. Men are really, mostly often, very bad when we don't have a lot of responsibility on us. But the more responsibility we get put on us, the better we are. This is what we're seeing in our culture, by the way. Why younger men, the generation or two behind me, they're not taking on any weight. They're not taking on much responsibility. And they're just playing at life and are pretty much useless. This is why, by the way, uh, I'll stop there. Women. Now, now, men, I'm not saying here being macho and gruff. Blah, 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 blah. That, I'm not saying you have to know how to use a chainsaw, although that will be helpful. Or know how to use a wrench, although you should know how to use a wrench. Your hands should be able to get dirty. But, but I'm just talking about take on responsibility. Lead. Take responsibility for the people around you at whatever age you are, for your siblings, for your classmates. Take it on. Okay, women, what are you? What does your body tell you you're for? You're different than a man, right? Your body's different than a man's. What's it for? What's your softer skin and softer body for giving and nurturing life. You're life givers. Eve was the mother of all the living. Now, of course, already you're probably thinking, what about the single women? What about a woman who can't have children? Hold that. I'm not saying this is all about having children. Of course, that's going to be the main thing. You are given to be a helper to a husband, to be the queen of your home, to manage it, to give life, to give your life, to giving life to others. Now today, what we've reduced a woman's body down to is a sexual object. That's all that you're for in our culture. Do you know that? That's all that you're for. That's all we care about you for in our culture. Having reduced the differences between the men and women to nothing, the only thing women exist for is to arouse men and every once in a while give them sexual pleasure. That's all you're for. And we don't even really need you. We just need a video of you. That's what our culture is for women today. That's why women are despairing of life. But you're actually given this calling, this function, this purpose of God of nurturing and giving and raising life and home and society. Now, by saying this, I'm not saying women don't lead. You have to be an ultimate dunce to think women don't have major impact in leadership. And what about single women or women who are barren? Are they less a woman? Well, not at all. 
Galatians 4.27, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. For the children of the less desolate one will be more than those who have had a husband. Of course, the main way that most women will play out their femininity is by marrying and having children and raising them and then grandchildren and so on. But this is also, like I, I was visiting a mother who just had a baby and she was talking about another young woman who's coming over and helping her. He's got like a two-year-old and now an infant and it's difficult. And so another young woman at our church who's before marriage is going to her home regularly to help out. That's what I'm talking about. Or it's an older woman who's no longer having children, investing in a younger mother who's losing her mind because they just had their third. It's a totally different game. You can see it. It just You kind of go towards this. Third thing to do is just realize that this idea of, or this biblical teaching that you are man and you are woman, that you have to live out your sexuality, you have to obey your sex, will not go well. It's going to be over a lifetime of repentance. I just don't want to like hold up the idea that there is this ideal man and that you'll get there. Because not only are men going to be different from other men, although there's many similarities, it, it, it's a lifetime of sucking a little less. And same thing for women, like, especially in marriage. You're women... How many of you have been married, let's say, 25 years or more? I'm uh, talking to the women here, Jim. <laughs> have you gotten any better at respecting your husband and not biting him with your mouth? You, you still struggle with that, right? Maybe a little better. And so, like, one of the goodnesses of God's law applied to you as a man is it humbles you and shows you your need for Christ. One of the good helps of Ephesians 5.22 and it tells a woman to submit to her husband in everything, as Christ does to the church, right? Is that is supposed to humble you and bring you to Jesus and maybe help you restrain yourself every once in a while with your husband? This is a dance. And also, in marriages, in you living on a manhood woman, it's, it is not going to be like the same for everybody exactly. You're going to have to figure out that dance within your marriage. Most women will do most of the cooking, but there are some odd relationships where the man does more. That was a joke. I make eggs and waffles. So it's going to be different. And, and just have the humility to commit yourself to trying to get better at this in the Lord. Why? Because it works so much better. It works so much better in the home, in the church, in society when we are obeying our sex. It brings fruit and life and goodness. So don't make this simplistic. Don't make this easy. It isn't. But also, don't make this too harsh on each other. Don't be judgmental towards others who aren't living out their femininity just like you are. Help them. Pray for them. But mostly, we'll need Christ. Won't we? And what we need Christ all the more is we have to stand firm in a world that's going absolutely insane regarding this. I mean, it's enough for you to get in trouble just to say, no, the Bible teaches that men are men and women are women. Just that is enough suddenly. And so let's do that. Let's, let's ask God's help. Let's pray. Father, please do help us. Help us to enjoy 
that you made us male and female. Help us as men to grow in our masculinity and help those who are women to grow in their femininity. Help us in our marriages to honor the other sex and to learn them and learn how to help them be better. Help us in raising our young boys and young girls to be men according to how you've made them and women according to how you've made them. Help us as men to take on responsibility to be firm where we need, but also to learn godly tenderness. Help those who are women to learn to be submissive to their own husbands and to give themselves to nurturing life and for older women to help train the younger women. God, help us to have patience with this, but to commit ourselves to it. Help us to keep ourselves from those who lie about this, especially in the church. We may have nothing to do with that because it is such a destructive error in our world. So God, please help us there. Father, forgive us for our pride, for me, for our pride in this, to know that everything we have is just by your grace. And so God, we continue to ask for it. In Jesus' name, amen.